Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Tesco Finest Quadruple cho- <laughs> Chocolate Cookies sponsored edition of the Molecast. Mmm, good evening. These are delicious. We're going to start with uh, Ireland versus Italy, or Italy versus Ireland, more to the more correctly. And we're going to start with the issue of a curious selection by Joe Schmidt, where he didn't he didn't seem to get the um, the most out of an opportunity to rotate and the players, the big names that he left in the squad and in the, in the, in the match day squad seem to underperform. And it seems like a missed opportunity to try out other positions. Well, I think that's an interesting way to phrase it. Um, I, I, I think, <clears throat> think about missed opportunities. I just don't think it was a good selection of well, certain players. Well, the key, the key ones here are for me are Quinn Rue and Alton Delan who I think are still firmly going to be third-choice, second-rows behind, in whichever order you pick them, James Ryan, Devon Toner, Ty Byrne and Ian Henderson. So when you had... I can understand entirely uh, giving James Ryan a rest after a huge workload in the first two games, but then you have Hendo putting Hendo on the bench and leaving Ty Byrne out but letting him play for Munster um, so that you can pick Alton Delan, who played extremely well, and Quinn Rue, who was adequate enough, you know, it was grand. But it, you're probably not going to bring either of those players to the World Cup. So why did you select them against Italy? I wouldn't even have said that. Like, Golden made a lot of mistakes. He's He plays as he does. He looked absolutely shattered as well, but he, he gives us all... Mm. Uh, he makes breaks. He constantly throws himself He's into great stuff. Tackler. He's yep. a great tackler. Um, but I am in complete agreement. We, we closed the last podcast with what we want to see, and I just wanted to see Ty Byrne play and John Cooney to get a bit more time. But really, like number one was a long way ahead of number two. Mm. So then on Friday night, um, Ty Byrne blew the doors off in a Six Nations fixture against the Ospreys. And sure, like, what does anybody learn from that? Yeah, uh, it it really, it really, really puzzled me. Yeah, what, what the thought process behind that was? I don't understand it, and I think it. I just think it's a bad. So you've you've said before that you think that selection is the worst uh, aspect, the only poor aspect really of Schmidt's coaching. And there was another one which I can sort of see the reason behind it, but again, I think it was bad. It was a bad selection and. Uh, Picking Jordy Murphy at eight. Murphy moved from Leinster, so he essentially so he could favour his international uh, credentials and, and play one position. So he's played twelve games, twelve starts for Ulster. He hasn't started at number eight once this season. So picking him at number eight, uh, obviously both CJ Stander and Jack Conan are injured, but Murphy's like a six one, like one eighty seven, one eighty eight centimeters, one oh five kilogram, like. He is probably the smallest number eight in the world. 
this season. When you start um, listening back, to, I always listen to the pod, like at least once. But then when you write stuff down in articles, you often come back and you go, oh yeah, that was wrong. Um, and it's really difficult not to contradict yourself at different times. Oh, so we, we'd, we'd have had disagreements uh, about you know how relevant stats are. I'm a fan of Geordie's. I thought uh, I was really glad to see him play at number eight for Leinster and close off. And but but people were asking, oh, you know, does he, you must regret leaving Leinster to go to Ulster. I thought it was a great move for him. Um, he decided that he wanted to make the best of himself in one position and have a tilt at the World Cup with the knowledge that he could play around. And Ulster season is far from over. Mm. But I will be with you as in. Why pick him a number eight? And to go back to what I mean about the stats, he took because we watched the match together, and he took he took one ball in heavy traffic, and he ran, and timing was good, line was good, and he made no ground. Mm. He just got planted on the line. Now, he didn't get drifted back out of it, and you just said like as your primary ball, like you can't play number eight like that yeah. as a primary ball carrier. Some of you are sort of saying, well, who would be the best number eights in the world, and I was saying, well, I mean, Vunapola, I think, name came up. Uh, Falatez has been injured for a lot. I was saying uh, Vermeulen. Like, yeah, for, Vermeulen's a monster. So you don't necessarily have to 100% agree and go, you can never play number eight if he's not a prototypical size. But when you see the constraints, you just go, ah, oh, man. Different. And I think it was as well in in the back row that was picked, where you had two guys who, you know, frankly don't get over the gain line, domestic level in in Jordy Murphy and Omani. I looked it up this morning, like they're they've they've played twelve and thirteen games respectively, and they're just both you know creeping over a hundred meters for the season. You know, like that's you know they're averaging like seven or eight meters per game. You're going, that's two members of your back row who are like not not good ball carriers in the in the pro fourteen. And Shawnee's not the force that he was. No, Shawnee, but he's significantly better than either of them. Fair by, enough. Okay. A long way. Yeah. So that would have been a much more my 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 feelings are is that Joe Joe Schmidt still sees Sean O'Brien as his, his first choice uh, open side, and I would disagree in that. I'd like to see, and as I've said before, I think Sean O'Brien's best position now is is number twenty, and uh, the back row sub. So, but if you need to use him as a number eight, that's a good position that you could use him as a third choice number eight, for example. And I felt he should have been selected at number eight for this match. Um, I don't I, I don't really like Jordy Murphy in any position bar. Seven, I was surprised how well he did for a Leinster at number eight last year, but he and he did really well. Uh, but I thought that overall the the selection of the pack wasn't it wasn't a good selection. It didn't set them up well for success. And now let's move on to the bad selections in the backs. <laughs> um, I think one of the most curious is uh, something that didn't really look uh, that awry from the offset, but when you saw one injury 12 minutes in, skewing up your entire back line, Keith Earls played admirably at 13, uh, but Chris Farrell has very limited experience at 12, and it left us with a very... When we, we've been discussing how much the centres should be a uh, source of strength, it left us with a very 
underwhelming centre partnership. Yeah, I agree. Like Bundy started really well. He had a good, a good strip in contact from uh, Bram Stein first, and then a nice run. Uh, but he was off after twelve minutes, so that meant uh, Farrell stepping in one. People look at Chris Farrell and they remember him playing for the under twenties as an under nineteen a year, and he played twelve inside Oldings thirteen. But they switched back and forth. They actually played a little bit of left and right there. I would say most people don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. the other thing is, Chris Farrell's played, like he's, people think he's tall, and they think tall centres are inside centres. They're like Jamie Roberts. Chris Farrell fucking never plays inside centre. I, I looked at it, I think he's played, started three games for Grenoble about five seasons ago. He is an out-and-out 13, in that he's selected as a 13. It doesn't mean he's a classic 13, because he's, you know, he's quite slow, he's not nimble, and he's extremely big and strong. Like, France occasionally used to pick uh, Tony Marsh at 13, quite, who, who I think would be the closest comparison with mm. with Chris Farrell, like a very big man, powerful runner. Um, but Farrell's natural game, like when people say, oh, he's an underrated passer, he, he might be underrated by people who think he's totally shit because he's possibly an adequate passer. He doesn't look to pass it. A lot of the passes he gave, he's credited with having given seven passes that were from power plays. There's a number of times when he's in the middle of the field, he's got a number of men to either his left uh, in the first half and to his right in the second half, both in his own half. And you're going, this is like a six on four outside him. And he just decides, he doesn't even look in one of them. He just goes, I'm going to take this into contact. So, Earls, I thought, did really well. People give out... But just going back to the, the Farrell thing. Yeah. Who else could he have picked, given that... No, he couldn't. He didn't have a huge. He didn't have, like Addison's injured, Ringrose injured, Headshaw's injured. Yeah. You know that that to me wasn't a. That Lar- to me wasn't Larmer's a, injured as well. Larmer's injured. That to me wasn't a, a bad selection, but it does bring into focus the amount of players that are injured at the moment as well. Um, you know, I think it's if you look at down the list: Larmer, Addison, Ringrose, Henshaw, Carberry, Luke McGrath. Caesar Stander, Jack Conan, Dan Levy, De- Devon Toner. They're all missing injured. Mm. And then omissions uh, through selection. Best, Healy, James Ryan, rested. Porter, Marmion, Byrne, omitted to play for their clubs. Like That's a lot of lads to rule out in the first place. The, the injury that happened really... Uh, it was... It was pretty, it, we didn't have the cover on the bench for it. You know, we just didn't have it. You can't always have it. You know, some people have suggested move it. Carty should have come on for Bundyaki. You're going bringing on a debutante in the wrong position for 68 minutes in an away game is fucking stupid. Of course, they did the right thing, but it just didn't pan out that well. Still, another point of contention in the selection was that we played our first choice halfbacks uh, from the start and played them for nearly all of the game, uh, but in both cases. Um, when we thought this might be a game when we would see what you know what what's in the in the depth chart at in those positions and neither of them had a good game and now you feel like well they have to kind of play the next one as well Well, that's they? a good question well it's not a good question but it's a pointed statement when shane horgan talked about the, the malaise the 2007 malaise one of the things i was struck by was the shared belief from uh, o'sullivan and that these guys need to find their way back into form by playing you know now, it's lucky that this is happening in this tournament. It's lucky that this malaise is occurring in this tournament rather than in the World Cup 
or else everyone's just like the economy will crash again like it did the last time we shot out in the World Cup. Um, because, but there are other reasons why Johnny Sexton played a long time. Firstly, you've like Carberry probably would have, you know, I, I don't know. Joe said that Johnny would have started anyway. I, I don't know whether he would have if Carby was 100% fit. But um, when you have a debutante and a guy who'd never even been in, in an Irish squad, a training squad, before, um, and you're in a sort of really can't-lose game, like it was very unlikely that he was going to say, oh, Johnny, you know, you've had your 52 minutes, I'm going to give Jack 28 here. That's not realistic. In the other halfback position... Oh, you need I th- when Ireland beat New Zealand without Conor Murray. I think everyone was gone. Whoa, like Conor Murray has to come back into that team. Yeah, it's not like they were missing both. He's their- gonna wreck it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like they were missing both their second rows and mm. like they were strong. We were missing Murray, and you're going sweet. Like we can we can only get better, and I'd still believe that. But at the moment, it. It doesn't look it, and I look. I'd have, I'd have started Conor Murray. Um, Me too. But I would have liked to have seen Cooney get more game time because, like, how much worse could he have made it? And like, so not not that Conor Murray had an absolute stinker. Conor Murray scored a try, but Cooney's pretty good, and Conor Murray is not at his best at all. So it, it it's. You keep, I keep coming back to Gaddy. This whole Six Nations for me has been about Waz's farewell oh. because part of the part of the one of the questions I asked and I was there going, I'm sure this is going to be asked by loads of other people on Monday is the nature of Schmidt uh, announcing his farewell. Does that make him a lame duck? And you were making the point, well. I, what I said was basically, if he didn't announce it, you'd get a year of is he staying or isn't he staying. And if you're going to say that the fact that he's announced uh, that he's going is a bad thing, without like a real, it's kind of like there, there's correlation rather than a causation. Yeah, I don't the, the, believe the, in that the, at all. The, the uncertainty of is he going or isn't he going, you could equally attribute any downfall or drop in level to that as well yeah it's and, not and Gatlin's going at the end of this Six Nations and he's leaving possibly his best Welsh team ever and it doesn't not look just like his it. not just his best Welsh team ever the best Welsh team ever and it doesn't look like it on paper no on paper it looks like a good Ospreys team but there's <laughs> without the Kiwis so a little bit weaker but like there's some names in there that you're like Oh, come on. But they have a Kiwi. Anscombe's a Kiwi. So Yeah. Hadley Parks is a Kiwi as well. Hadley Parks, so they have the Kiwis. But, you, like, ah, oh, seriously, like, it looks like a strong, there's been stronger regional teams on paper, but not performance-wise. So, I don't know. What would Gaddy have done? I, what do you think he would have done? What do you think? What do I think he would have yeah. done? Would have started Tyg Byrne, would have given Cooney... 30, 35 minutes, would have started Hendy. I think he would have played Shawnee at number eight, uh, possibly Geordie at seven, with mm-hmm. Josh covering um, Josh covering the back row, knowing that Geordie can go into eight if Shawnee's yeah. struggling there. I think uh, he... Fullback? It's a load of injuries, so... 
Bush, Bush, Bush. I think you would have played Conway. Yeah. Well, like, you know, this is a house divided when it comes to Carney. But, like, you can't just... I know I'm, a, I'm the big Carney booster here. Um, but, like, Carney's performance there was, was the classic one that why, you know... It seems like 80% of Irish rugby fans wasn't dropped after every game. Like, he, 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 he had a horrific missed tackle on, uh, I think, his opposite number. Hayward. Yeah, it was just... It looked... When you see it from behind, it's, 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 you can see why he missed it. When you see it from the side, you're just like, oh, Jesus, did he just grab a so that? Like, did he just go... <laughs> it's, yes, the entrance to Casino is through here. Um... But and then you know he, he dropped a high ball. It was given as a knock on. It went backwards. But it was like under no pressure. You know, why did that happen? And and aside from that, it wasn't a game where Italy were testing anybody with uh, by moving moving the backfield around, kicking. It was just like he was. It, it wasn't like he was a complete bystander because he made some mistakes. But uh, it just wasn't a good outing for him. Um, he's not the only one, you know. But it was. That sort of game. What, what do you attribute the the malaise to to steal Shaggy's the Jimmy Carterism from him? Yeah. Well, what do I you think, attribute that to? Uh, I think that from reading Murray's interview with uh, Jerry Torney, a long interview on Saturday's Irish Times, that it's a long lasting. His his neck injury involved nerve damage. I remember when Keen Healy had that. It took him a long time to get back to. Form. So he he had like muscle wastage and strength loss in one of his arms. Mm. So Murray's form is is not good. He's only not he's not at full fitness either in terms of being uh, physically ready, like having loads of games under his belt. And also just trying too hard. There's a number of occasions when he shot out of the line as third man in. So you had whatever they call pillar these days. Now they call it guard. Then you had an X man and Murray was a third. Twice in the first half, he comes out of the line, once exposes a huge dog leg, which Tito Dabaldi zipped through. So he's trying really hard to make big plays, and they're not coming off. He looks, he's just uncomfortable. He's just not in good form. Like, scrum half is going to touch the ball 100, 120 times. Uh, so he is certainly one of the two most influential players in your team. Uh, he's in really poor form. Sexton, Sexton's form, I don't think is... I don't think it's as poor as, as Murray's. I had a good laugh with you today in the taxi when we were talking about fucking catch the fucking ball when he came off. And, you know, I agree with him. Like, he's, he's throwing passes, which lads are, like, it's hitting them in the hands and they're dropping them. And people are saying, oh, we don't know if that's Sexton's fault or if it's somebody else's fault. You're going, it's probably not the fucking best player in the world's fault. It's probably one of the other lads. And, you know, when people give out about his petulance or who's always cursing and those not a bad example. When people, when players talk about Johnny Sexton driving standards, it's not like Johnny Sexton sitting down, having a quiet coffee with people and saying, oh, this is what we need to do. It's him calling them fucking assholes on the pitch for dropping his passes and saying, if you can touch this pass, you can catch it. If you can reach that kickoff, you can get it in play. Probably doesn't admit that he's wrong ever, you know, but he's... Like, he is a massive, massive standard setter and high standards. And it's a very, very harsh environment that he's operating in. So, maybe I'm taking too much of his side. He didn't have a particularly good game. 
but he's he, like a lot of players around him are fucking up. He's fucking up as well. But what, and what, what do you do? You have any ideas about? I think it's. I think it's absolutely crazy that we didn't start another scrum half. Like we have to, we don't know who our second choice scrum half is. It's well, it's Marmy, but he's injured. So like, so you got to try the next guy. And Cooney's been playing really well. And the game wouldn't have gone any that much differently at all with Cooney. Might have gone better. He just give it quicker delivery. Really keen to impress. He could take the place kicks that uh, that um, Murray, Murray had to take. But uh, he's playing really well. You give him a boost of confidence. It just seems like. I thought it, I thought it was a, a missed opportunity. I can see when Carberry had to pull out that it became more clear that Johnny was going to play. I just think it was such a missed opportunity to play uh, John Cooney to give him a proper game. But there's, there's the, game. the malaise. I think goes wider than scrum half and out half not playing well. You know, and one of the things that Eddie O'Sullivan wrote or maybe said was that uh, teams have figured us out. You know, which I think is, which I think is, it's like he's a coach. You know, he coached Ireland, you know, with, with quite a you know, reasonable amount of success for yeah. six years. So when they say teams have figured us out, I've, uh, my, I'd answer that question with a question, although it's not a question, saying if they're figured us out, why aren't they beating us? Like we are not, we're fielding weakened teams. We're not even playing well. So how come we can go to Scotland who were in you know better form than we were, had a stronger teammate than we did. Hadn't lost to Murrayfield in what two seasons? Yeah. And Italy actually played, you know, reasonably well against us. We played poorly. We had a weak teammate. So saying that they've figured us out like firstly that's what coaches look to be doing. They're always trying to figure other teams out. The idea that there's only like that it's a it's an equation that you can solve and you're 100 percent certain joe schmidt hates this one simple trick (laughs) (laughs) you won't believe (laughs) yeah i mean if 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 for example teams had figured us out why do we keep on scoring or almost scoring off power plays like that's an obvious question to ask eddie o'sullivan i think it comes off as a rather trite commentary i i mean I think everyone knew how we were going to play this season, much the same as last season. Mm. It doesn't mean it's easy to stop. I don't think that it's that big a factor. And when I watched Ireland New Zealand, in the, there was a huge roar after the first few minutes when we sort of withstood the, the initial barrage. Because I think a lot of the same people were at that match that had been at the, the previous match in Lansdowne or the previous New Zealand match against mm-hmm. Lansdowne, you know, when they scored early and they could seemingly score at will against us. Um, and certainly everybody who was at it, or you know, almost certainly, had watched it if they hadn't been at it. And it was hugely intense, and there was a huge buzz. And then watching England and Wales the first few minutes, you were like, oh, man, tasty. This is absolute top-notch international rugby. And it's frightening physicality. Mm. You know, he, he, furious pace incredibly loud incredibly loud um, and our match resembles nothing like that yeah neither has our Scottish match and neither is our half of the English match the English performance against us was a hiss and a roar but yeah. our, ours wasn't and that's got nothing to do with figuring out that's the, the emotional high and I obviously Ireland are really well coached obviously coaching has a huge influence but 
I was I was looking at Jacob Stockdale. I'm thinking to myself, a little over a year ago, Jacob Stockdale was a risky pick of a guy who he was going to fast track a recent under twenty. Yeah. In time for the World Cup to get him enough experience to to have him as an option because he liked the look of him, and he was admi- and it was it was kind of generally certainly this well this is my perception so it was generally held perception that Stockdale wasn't quite there yet mm. but he was a risk worth taking. Jacob Stockdale looked and played world class on the wing <laughs> in a misfiring team. And they're going like if there's anywhere where it's difficult to play well. In a misfiring team, it's on the wing because you're completely peripheral or fullback. Very difficult. To <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought to myself, like Jacob Stockdale is a test match animal. He is absolutely unbelievable. Um, and had like had Ireland scored that try in in garbage time to to put a different sheen on, you would have gone like, "Jeez, man, that was all Stockdale." Oh yeah, like. He ran from behind his own line, beat five or six players, brought it up to inside their half and threw a pass. Had a, and, ah, like, you know what happened. So how come he can do it? I, th- that's sort of the bit that I don't understand. And you're kind of going, how many more guys would you need to play like that to galvanize and change the entire team? Because the season that, it, the season that we were chatting about and the season that it for some reason, reminds me the most is 2011 because I was, I was really curious. I was going to, how did 2011 go for us? So we opened up against the Italians 13-11 in Stadio Flaminio before they started playing matches mm. in the Stadio Olimpico and Raj scored that late drop goal. But Sexton started at out half and Sean O'Brien started at number eight and it was a different Sean O'Brien. It was a different Johnny Sexton like because O'Gara started the next three games having scored that drop kick, you know, so Sexton didn't have the confidence. Now you've got a like, then you had a situation where the coach sort of knew that he was going into World Cup and you know had someone good who was he going to win? That was like 2011 was his Northampton match. Yeah. So you know he was he was going to galvanize isn't a team to win a second Heineken Cup in his in. Like what would be the trademark performance of Johnny Sexton's career, mm. um, or the hallmark performance? But he still got dropped for the next three matches after that, where Sean O'Brien was blowing the doors off, and Sean O'Brien had been blowing the doors off for more than a season before that, and they couldn't get a shout. That's a very different Sean O'Brien that was playing at the at the weekend. So anyway, we won that match, lost at home against France, won over in Scotland by three points, lost in Cardiff in the ball boy match. At which stage we're two and two with a negative points difference of minus six. Mm. Playing England on Paddy's weekend. England going for a grand going slam. For the grand, England going for the grand slam. Annihilated them. 24-8. And you kind of think to yourself, where did that come from? And yet, it was it was in them. And I, I So it was O'Leary, Sexton, and then Redden O'Gara for three matches, and then Redden, Sexton. And we've referred to it recently about Redden and Sexton how rarely they played started together for mm. Ireland but they started that match and the pace so I mean one of the things you said is you know all the experts like why don't, why don't the experts tell us why why it's going wrong yeah and the one that struck with me was Jeno said it afterwards about the line speed and he says like oh, I wrote down here like wasn't it until Josh Vanderfleer came on that someone came off the line aggressively and I I can't for the life of me figure out what the problem is. 
No, I can't. Again, I don't think Joe Schmidt can figure it. Well, to take up the point about the defensive system, uh, Horgan was commenting on second captains that our defensive system, while it had been um, had looked so stern against the Kiwis, um, now now by comparison with the straight rush up and just hit everything approach of the English and Welsh, it looks more rather than looking pragmatic, it looks. Uh, too overly cautious. Yeah, we, well, we, we fill the space and then we just sort of teeter and say, "Are we going to hit it, or are we going to, are we going to drift out wide?" We, we're keeping our options open. Mm, we've been out hitting in all three games. Uh, the English obviously smashed us to pieces. That very telling statistic of dominant tackles. The Scots smashed us, uh, smashed Johnny Sexton in particular. But again, they won a lot of contacts in the first. The first half, which is what is, is so telling, really, about how you set out your stalls of defence. And then the Italians, the Italians, I felt, had the upper hand in terms of winning the majority of collisions. Um, and again, the Italian packs have been very physical before. It used to be the go-to line when they had lads like Castro Giovanni. Uh, do you that? Bergamasco. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, who else was... Big for the Italians. Uh, they're, still, they're pretty a Giraldini oh, kind of Yeah, no Chichero. And there was another guy, throwing a dark haired tight head who was like a ferocious cheat. Name began with Z. I have to look that one up. Um, that's what people always used to say. Oh, they're very physical. But they were, and they were very physical again. So we've lost these collisions. Um, you know, and, and our back row has changed. I think a back row is a big factor of winning and losing collisions. You expect your six and eight to be two of the biggest hitters on the pitch, yeah, both with the ball and without the ball. We've changed our back row. We've had three number eights have started three different games. The same number six has started all three. We've had two different number sevens. And, um, you know, it's it's something where you, you would look at them and go, why aren't you getting off the line quicker? And why aren't you sitting there to smash people? You know, why aren't you... Like, Shawnee had a couple of times in the, in the game against the Scots that he pushed Finn Russell over after he'd passed just for the sake of doing it. You know, which I'd like to see. I'd like to see that from an open side. Um, but it's you know, few and far, far between. So there does seem to be an element of... We don't seem to be as confrontational as the teams that we've faced. Any of them. Hmm. Yeah, maybe there's an, uh, an argument if, we, if we're going to go into pure spoof territory. That, oh, yeah, my favorite one. Um, all three of those teams were trying to prove something against us and that kind of aggression is the easiest way to do it. England were trying to prove that they're actually, yeah, on the way back. Scotland are trying to prove that, no, actually, we could definitely beat you in the World Cup. Yeah. And uh, the Italians are trying to prove that they're not totally shit, whereas we're just trying to get to the World Cup. I don't think that's complete spoof. I think that's quite reasonable. Um, you know, I, I say that more because of the fact that we're the reigning Six Nations and Grand Slam champions rather than because we're Ireland. Which is why I, I was I would have been more encouraged by the selection of just a couple of players, not a whole team, but a couple of players who who did have something to prove. And I think a good example of someone like that is Dave Kilcoyne, who had a really fine game. A super game from Killer. Super game. Um, he was he was he was our best carrier uh, in terms of uh, sort of carrier rod and runners. Obviously, Stockdale was our best runner by a mile, 
But Kilcoyne got over the gain line pretty much every time he carried the ball. There was one occasion when he he was he just got the ball on the wrong side. He managed to get in behind the ruck again, so straight in front of where the last breakdown had been, and sort of dragged three people with him. Like he had a really really good game. I would I would go so far as to say to sort of kind of like a clarity of purpose amongst. The, oh yeah, the, the, the clarity the, of purpose we do, that we don't have. Yeah, well, Dave Kilcoyne wanted to get on the ball, smash people, get make yards. Yeah. Jacob Toxell was just wants the ball all the time. Yeah, he wouldn't pass me because it's so much fun. The clarity of purpose thing is interesting because uh, Killer hasn't passed in the Six Nations um, at all. You know, he, he when when you give him the ball, he's going to run. Uh, it's almost like because he hasn't played in like he his last Six Nations previous to this was 2013, like, and that's as either a sub or a starter. So it's almost like he's a first year player again. Um. You know, if, if you don't pass the ball, you get lined up for double hits. And, yeah. you know, as good a tackler as, as Killer is, if you have somebody like Ituria and Antonio lining you up for a double hit, you're going to get fucking smashed. And, I mean, this is perhaps kind of like making an excuse for or overthinking it. But it's like, particularly when Sean Cronin hadn't been selected in his 67 test prior to this for a Six Nations game, like, all he could do was fuck up. All he could do was lose. <laughs> like, you know he's not going to be the starting hooker in the World Cup, considering how far down the line we've gone, Bestie. All he could do was just like, I, not meet standards. No, I disagree. We were chatting about, I don't know how it came up in my feed. or if I, Anyway, I was watching a documentary about Tom Brady and the Brady Six. And I think he'd won, like, three Super Bowls at this stage when the documentary was made. But it was about the fact there was six quarterbacks selected ahead of Brady in the draft. And, you know, they didn't surprise Tom Brady and doorstep him, but like Tom Brady could name all of the six quarterbacks. Uh, you know, at this stage, he's got multiple Super Bowl rings. He, yeah. he knew all of them. And he was asked, you know, you know what, what's, what's the difference? And he said, the difference between, you know, very good players, good players, and great players is the ability to perform under pressure. So it, it isn't, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that uh, Crow was going to have a stinker. But it was a foregone conclusion that he wasn't going to get it. He wasn't going to win the place off Rory Best. He couldn't win the place off Rory Best in a performance against Italy. Yeah, I think that's that's true. And it's not a foregone conclusion. I agree with, with Andrew there, and that's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to... But he was up against it. Uh, and it wasn't... A, like a, I, should, I think it's important to stress that you know, he missed he missed three lineouts. One of them was a huge overthrow. Like I looked at it again last night. The first one that he missed, like O'Mahony gets a great jump, is a great lift, and is a super lineout player. All the Italians are on the ground. Yeah, and then it's a, like it's a meter higher than O'Mahony can get to. Like it's a it's a that's the one. Typically, I would say that the only one you can definitely blame on a hooker is a crooked throw because that's the only one where nobody else touches the ball. But like that throw was just like that was Cronin's. That was Cronin's. Somebody others one is a steal. You don't know whether or not that's the hooker's fault. The other one was a mild overthrow, which it looks like maybe the lift was late in Quinn Rue, but the first one is just Crohn's fault. But I have to say, to continue here, Scannell came on and and lost two line hits. So Cronin lost three, I think, from all told 13 because he came on for the last eight minutes as well when Scannell had the HIA. I think he had two line hits there. So I think it was like he went 10 from 13 and I think Scannell went four from six or five from seven. So 
the idea that it was all Sean Crone and Cancero is like, no, our line it didn't work. Um, it's it's not the first time when Devin Toner has been missing that we realise that wow, our line it relies a lot more on Devin Toner than people want to admit. Maybe I think that sometimes when he's not there, they they go, oh yeah, why why do we never mention our line when Devin Toner's there? And we win like 96% of the ball. Because mm. he's a fucking really good line player. Other big positives from the weekend. Peter Mahoney's uh, defiant interview. Oh, I, I, particularly I didn't enjoyed. see the interview. <laughs> he just said, we weren't shit. <laughs> I thought he did very well. I, really, I, 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 I liked his was, toe department. I thought it was the right thing to say. So that, you know, when you're captain... I don't, accept the I don't accept the premise of your question. Yeah, is, obviously everyone's disappointed, but he just made the point. We won, we got a bonus point. Yeah. You know, we're looking at a job done. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was right. He paid very well. He, he put in a captain's knock. Um, the things that he's very good at, he did very well. Very well. His lineups are very good. He got a few jackals. He's, he's, he's good around, like he's good body language. I know that sounds like No, it's a, important. Like we're, we can't, we've been talking all the time, well, certainly maybe we've been talking a little bit around it, but about the emotional energy that doesn't seem to be there. You know, and he, he has it. Other players don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not Schmidt yeah. came out. <laughs> like Schmidt's like, we don't know. We don't know what's going wrong. Which I yeah, you was, can you can point which, to individual things, but that's not which I what's going was, wrong. Which I thought was good as well. And a bit of me was just like, oh, I hope they went out. Like I hope they had a few drinks on the flight home. And well, perhaps it's the case that Schmidt is the schoolmaster, and he's not a, he's not attuned to the actual the vibe, the psychic vibe of in the, the classroom. Team. Of of the of the the team members who like in the in the huddle when he's gone away, yeah. and he's given them all the instructions. He's not attuned to that as as it, as finely attuned to that as he as he might be, or it might be that he's just he doesn't want to say, oh yeah, we're lacking, we're not really concentrating on this tournament. Like he doesn't want to say that. Obviously, it's easier to say things just aren't clicking. But yeah, it's also more accurate to say things aren't clicking. I do agree with Amani. I think at the end of this tournament, should should Ireland win two more matches? Um, the table looks good. Table looks great. What if we win one? If we beat Wales, people will still think it's pretty good. Well, if and we've lost both our home matches, I don't think you can lose both your home matches. I think. I think if Ireland beat, if Ireland beat France, if Ireland beat France, it still comes down to the match against Wales and what sort of buzz there is in the team and this this is very familiar territory because it's Irish rugby is that really I think the thing that frustrates Irish fans the most isn't going out in quarterfinals it's limping out in quarterfinals it's it's not it's 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 not coming out of the blocks and giving it a lash it's like getting chopped at the ankles in Wellington it's getting outflanked and run over in Cardiff it's not even being there in Paris. Absolutely out of your feet in, in South Africa. The 2003 in one. Do you remember when France like scored three tries Cal- in yeah, the yeah, first? Yeah, yeah, like just, just absolutely. Like 16 minutes. And we're going, oh, this game's like a, over already. <laughs> looking like a speed bump for France on their way to the semifinals. Like, that's the bit that kills Irish, yeah, Irish rugby supporters want to see the team give it a lash. Like in 1991. 
You were there, I think, weren't you? It was awesome. Yeah. And then the most silent ground until 2013. But yeah. it was electric. It was brilliant. And in 1995, we lived there. France beat us up again. That's we my don't, memory of it. No, no, these are important. Let's in go back to the first World <laughs> Cup. In 1995, we'd, we were atrocious and we beat Wales to qualify for the group. We'd already had our quarterfinal. Yeah, I didn't think we were atrocious. I thought, I remember watching us against New Zealand and thinking, this is, like, this is easy, the best Ireland have played in, you know, in three or four years. Apart from Clark, yeah, so, so, Wales. But there's still a few matches left to go in the tournament and you get Ring Rose back in. Yeah. And yeah, a few other players to come back there's in. There's a few more players. Byrne, hopefully. Hendo, yeah. hopefully. James Ryan coming back. Keane yeah, Healy so coming there's, in. There's, there's Put it this way if we win a standard. If we rema- win our remaining two Levy, games. Levy, hopefully. And even if Wales outstrip us in the table by two or three points on the bonus system, everyone will come out of it. Oh, if we, if we win four games, like that's, that's a super. You know, considering that we started off getting absolutely fucking annihilated, that's a great bounce back. Uh, and but how, just the way the team are playing, it's. It, it doesn't look likely because no. they're playing Wales who are, as you said, the greatest team Ever. in history. Not just the greatest Wales team in history, the greatest team in history. The crowd didn't like that. What I was going nah, to say we're, was... We're being a bit clipped there. Like the Wales-England was a super match and we had different opinions about it. Um, yeah. I was watching it on my own. Uh, I was I was I wanted to concentrate on the game. Um... I was really looking forward to it and I wanted to just really sort of watch it quite keenly. Um, and I felt that for the first like 25 minutes, you're going, wow, this is a fucking huge amount of contestables and a huge amount of lads running directly into each other. And I was, I tend to shy away from the <clears throat> just massively criticizing the modern game, so to speak, but thinking these are the two big items of rugby which lead most concussions you know head-on-head tackles and uh, collisions in the air so and this game is composed entirely of those two facets and it's brilliant yeah i don't have a yeah. problem with running into people as you know i think yeah, it's good yeah. i think contestable kicks are good but uh i don't like gatland like not that i hate him or anything like that but compared to you uh i'm not a big fan not a huge fan of eddie jones either so uh, I was looking at those guys and it's with a bit of a jaundiced view and I was thinking, is this is this what the next World Cup is going to be about? Just loads and loads and loads of kicking in the air and loads of lads running into each other, one out. Well, you, you had discussed uh, previously about England's kicking game uh, bearing a resemblance to the 2007 kicking game of Argentina. Well, 2000, 2007 kicking game of Argentina. And you were saying that... Um, you were somewhat surprised that they were unveiling it before the World Cup, almost. Mm. Uh, in the second half of the game, it looked very much like they weren't unveiling anything. They were like, we're just going to kick the ball in, into Wales and let them make mistakes and let and just put them under enough pressure to squeeze points out of them. But they, weren't, they didn't play any rugby at all. No, they seemed to run out of ideas, which... I was kind of surprised by... Run out of ideas after one idea, though. Like, kind of surprised by, and kind of not, that uh, Gatlin very tellingly, it was another big match where England 
failed to perform. And this is where the contradiction hits in because I thought that they'd reinvented rugby after uh, beating France and Twickenham and hammering us. But it's 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 the Welch and I texted you guys after I think after the match and said how appropriate it was that Corey Hill scored the try because we talked about Wales on paper just not being the force that they were a few years ago with, you know anyway we, you know we've recorded that and they still have a number of the same players playing but um like Josh Navidi and Corey Hill he, like Rob Evans there's 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 a lot of there's a Hadley lot of Parks is no Hadley Jamie Parks. Roberts there's a lot of blokes in there that you'd see playing in the pro 14 you go oh, yeah, like he's he's, he's good, good. you know he's, but he's not you know like he's not Sam Warburton he's, he's, Jamie Roberts yeah, yeah. Toby Falatow or the guy who can change the game on his own and yeah. everything's going to depend on him and yet they work so hard. So Wales, to me, look like a team way down the spectrum from Ireland of just being able to get to a great pitch, having a great confidence. I was watching them sing the anthems and like I backed Wales, so I kind of wanted to see what I wanted to see. But I was thinking, God, they look very, they look emotional, but composed and emotional. Because sometimes in that anthem, in that match, oh, like fellas, are just everything having, comes out. Everything yeah. comes out. Like it's it's <laughs> it's an emotional, emotional waterfall, turmoil, yeah. maelstrom. Um, they had no nineteen sixteen, you see, but they didn't. They didn't. They they, they seem very assured, and even going ten three down, I thought as long as Wales don't go seventeen three down at the end of the first half, I think they'll win this. Because like they're fit, they're playing at home. Uh, Alwyn Jones, I remember saying this last year as well, and I remember thinking, God, I remember. How long am I going to say this? When I play, playing against Mike Phillips, or you know, watching Mike Phillips play for Wales, just like, oh, Phillips is so annoying. And then watching him play for the Lions when you're cheering for you, you go, he's so good. Like he's he's so easy to cheer. He does these just instinctive, stupidly brilliant stuff that you can't help but like him and get behind him. Now, Alan Jones isn't like an instinctive, stupid, but you're just sort of going, how often is this guy near the absolute center of the play? And how much does he just manipulate the ref mm. as the match goes on? So, so you, you could even sort of say like both captains start on pretty much a par. And by the end of it, like the ref is buying Alan Jones oh, yeah. a car. Not just yeah. drinks, like you know, he's he's giving him his car. The ref's walking. Yeah. He's got he's taking the bus home, and he's giving Alan Jones his car. Um, and there there was one bit like he he obviously wound up Sinclair completely, and just he just milked him for penalties, and then you know Sinclair got milked, got taken off, and then at the end they're having a bit of a chat, and Sinclair was having a laugh and a joke with him. Uh, but he also shooed away his loose head, who was saying something stupid to the ref, and like. It was Jones. after it was after Sinclair had stepped across. Given the second penalty, was it? Uh, the first the one, first chip one. over the top, and yeah, it, it was. I, I think it was more than a penalty, and they were very angry. And he was like, "Listen, I have the relationship with this referee. Stop talking to him." Um, I think. I think. I actually think though it wasn't just because of that decision. It was actually because the Welsh had been yapping all day, and there was a point where they even got a penalty, 
And Liam Williams was like, what the fuck did you, you know, what the fuck was that to the ref? And you heard him say it. And he goes, I gave you the penalty. And he's like, yes, I know. Sorry, sorry, what? sorry, yeah, whatever. Shouldn't swear at you. But like the Welsh did need to be calmed down by, hmm. it, it wasn't like, <clears throat> I felt like any captain would have done that, to be honest. Maybe not Johnny Saxon. <laughs> <laughs> Gatlin has a laddish charm. That's why I was thinking the difference between uh, Gatlin and Schmidt in terms of instilling confidence. Like, yeah. Schmidt would, like, the lads were going to have confidence because we've done all we can possibly do. We're so well prepared. Whereas Gatlin would be like, well, like, let's go out and have a few beers and play ping pong. Like, that sort of laddish confidence. That's the sort of thing which I think Andy Farrell brings a bit of to the Schmidt... Uh, like he's got, he's he's much. He has a much bigger, um, <clears throat> more laddish isn't the right word exactly, but he's he's a more charismatic person. Yeah, than, than Schmidt is like, or or than Simon Easterby is like Simon Easterby's like a really nice fella, but a bit a bit of a grey man really. Um, but Gatlin brings that, um, and I think I think I think he has. Uh, I I think it's such a difficult. Uh, quality to sort of say what it is exactly that it is. He's obviously a good selector. He's an adventure selector. But he seems to be able to just get Welsh players believing in themselves. Like Looking at the form of those two teams going into that game, Cardiff Arms Park or not, like England had slaughtered us, slaughtered France. Wales had like almost lost to France and been beaten out of it in the first half. And then like... Mm, faffed around against Italy like there was one team in form and one team not in form and in the end Wales come out beating them you know not even letting England get a bonus point and everyone is probably still hung over in, in Wales you know because it was such an un- unbelievable momentous occasion and once once Wales beat England they're unbeatable <laughs> yeah they are like, we all know that yeah someone needs to stop him finally onto the big topic of the day France versus Scotland. <laughs> France versus Scotland was a really enjoyable game. I enjoyed watching it. Um, you know, it was a strange selection as usual from uh, the geography teacher lad. What's his name? Brunel. He's got a good name. I just can't remember it ever. Um, but some big performances. Uh, some uh, entertaining performances. Ettoria very good again. Uh, Penno. Ramos, like I'm not going to just go say all their names. Like France played in in the way that they have played against lesser teams for long time, in that they're, you know, skillful and inconsistent. They've fucking botched tries. The game could have been over in the first half. They botched up a number of tries, uh, but they were, you know, fairly handsome winners. France, look. No closer to having a team than they did at the beginning of last year's Six Nations. There's so many players. Like, they picked Bello uh, at, and Machino as their halfbacks, and you're going, brilliant. Like, unless these guys are injured, just just stick with them, mm. right? Just, like, they're obviously good. <laughs> just play with these guys. And then they play with different guys, and you're going, all right, these guys are young Jesus, like just just keep picking these guys yeah, all the time. Like, give, give, yeah. give yourself a core of a team. 
you said Laurie and Ettoria played well and you know Pinkamalls obviously Ettoria oh, was playing second yeah. second row last year for some matches but like France could pick three different blokes in the back row and they'd they'd have a good back yeah. row and like if if it's if it's puzzling being an Irish supporter I don't know what it's Miss like being a French supporter because the, the, like Scotland didn't have Finn Russell and they would have really needed or Stuart Hogg or Stuart Hogg and they would have really needed things to go their way but like Maitland made a break and mm-hmm. he sort of drifted he just he drifted across the pitch Um, and I, I'm not going to say it was a guilt-edged opportunity but, but had they scored Scotland were definitely still in that match um, whereas for Scotland I just think I watched Scotland play against us and I watched a bit of the 10-14 guys and Scotland from like a chalkboard definition play rugby the right way they, they play it as though you know if it all goes right for them they're going to score some gorgeous sexy tries mm. they've got pods in the right place they move the ball They've got variation in in all their shape. It's it's all that big picture stuff. We talked about the ideology, and you know they, they couldn't do it. They, they didn't look, you know. The, so them beating France was all predicated on Maitland straightening up and throwing a pass, and you know whoever not getting caught. And you go, that's pretty skinny. Yeah, and. Uh, I, I kind of think they flatter to deceive. Um, whereas you look at Wales and you go like, Gaddy basically just plays the same simple game that he's been yeah. playing for 10 years in his international career. And they look class. And you go like, what is the difference? It's interesting the way, one of the things, sorry, that we should have brought up before about Wales is that they're, they're two, two halves approach to tactics in that in the first half they looked at how England had defended against us, I think, in particular, and said, like, we're not just shoveling the ball out for their line speed, their massive line speed to come up and smash us like four metres behind the gain line. Mm. We're going to pick and jam, pick and jam like three times in yeah. a row. Yeah, yeah. That sort of ideal number between two and four, it's called three. That's how many times you do it because it gets people, once is nothing, twice is repetitive, third time is then you're going, and then they go, are they going to go again? Nah. So, but it just makes sure you can't get off the line against pick and jam. Like there's no, there's no. And you have to start committing guys. You yeah. can't just have like a 13 or 14 blokes across the pitch. Yeah. And sorry, look, I'm, I'm being uh, dismissive of Gaddy. Like I think that one of the, one of the great strengths of Gaddy's coaching is that his simple strategy belies a tactical flexibility. Mm. Is that like, it's an easy team to come into because you know, the sort of the framework is, is pretty basic. There isn't a huge amount of complicated stuff. But he chooses tactics in matches and pick and jam being one of them or like who you're kicking at or, you know, like which side do you attack? Like do you keep it on the left, do you keep it on the right, do you use the blind side? Like all of these he gets sort of that stuff. that right so often. He just, he gets it right. Mm. And he gets the guys ready and they sort of have a fundamental framework that they can go back to and they've got tactical things that they're able to target at the at the opposition rather than it being very finely calibrated power plays which you know have been massively successful so yeah let's not say that joe schmidt doesn't score enough tries and all that sort of stuff yeah go uh, back going back to scotland um, yeah <clears throat> they're going into this world cup and they're still with the exception well it's not really exception 
They won one significant win. Against England. Against England at home in the last... Under, under Gregor Townsend. Oh, well, I don't know. They have won November internationals. You know, so they've beaten Southern Hemisphere teams. Do you remember, like, Wales only beat a Southern Hemisphere team for the first time this November. Like, they had had this long history of losing to especially Australia. Uh, so for Scotland to beat Australia, South Africa... And just double-check those scores there, will you? you the we'll the, the Wales out. one or the Scots one? Scots one. Scots over the last two. I'll, I'll start this again. Yeah. I don't have the Scottish... Uh, I don't have the Scottish November oh, stuff. Well, I, I'll go what's, what's the point? The point is, like, Scotland's, like, a good team. <laughs> and, like, they don't win any games. They don't win any important games. They haven't won any important games. Yeah, I think that's... Well, they've won one. Beating England is always a big... Winning the Calcutta Cup was important. Yeah. But, like, in a championship that was already gone. And it turned out to be a season where everyone beat England. France beat England last year? Yeah. France to beat England. Yeah. I think, yeah, that that's the, just the flatter to the season. Go, go ahead, bang that out. Bang that talking point out. Um, Print. The thing, with, the thing with Scotland is, with the exception of winning the Calcutta Cup last year... They're really lacking in any any important wins. Uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who said that they'd be a very different proposition come the World Cup when they've got all their players back. And the thought that the the conversation went along the lines of if they have all if you if you if you if you accept the premise that they'll have all their players back and we'll have all our players back, and you you have to accept that premise because it's rugby's a, a contact sport and like injuries are just as likely to happen to anyone else. If we're coming up against the first game of the World Cup and we have all our players, unless we absolutely shit a brick, like, what are the chances of them beating us? They have no experience of it. Yeah, I think that's the biggest impediment to Scotland. They play great chalkboard rugby. They, they're miles more competitive. They've got in Hogg, a Kinghorn looked brilliant at the weekend. So with Hogg... Kinghorn and I don't know like Seymour or Maitland or whoever else you want to pick with Jones as the outside centre you go like they've got cutting edge mm-hmm. you've got Finn Russell's unpredictability uh, Laidlaw has got a bit sharper I always thought he was very pedestrian um, and they've a good line out they've you know abrasive they've better scrum to Johnny Gray and but they don't win they're just not used to winning and like that's that's a big obstacle to get over. 